Good morning. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just come before you today, and we just want to come to you with a heart of thanksgiving, thanking you for this great and amazing privilege we have just to open up your word, hear it preached, hear it read, and to sing praises to you. We just pray that we glorify you throughout the day and throughout our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. On October 3rd, 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared that a National Day of Thanksgiving would be observed on November 26th. The day was to be set aside for the nation to repent and to give thanks to God for the Union's victory at Gettysburg. At the end of his proclamation, he stated, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as day thanksgiving and praise, dear beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for a national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as it may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. I know that some Christians disagree, but I think it's important to set days aside every year to remind us to celebrate important events, such as the birth of Christ, and to remind us to be thankful to a merciful God. However, giving thanks to God should not be something we do only once a year. As Christians, every day of our life should be marked by an intense gratitude towards God for all that he has done for us. The Christian life should be a life of thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God is easy during the good times. When things are going good, prayers of thanksgiving seem to burst out of us. It's easy to thank God for things like the birth of a child, a wedding, or the salvation of a loved one. But we're also called to be thankful during the bad times. Times where the doctor calls with more bad news, the loss of a job, or even the death of a loved one. When times are hard, it is hard to give thanks. However, it is especially important to give thanks to God when we're going through these deep valleys. Not only does it honor Him, but it helps us to trust in His sovereign hand. Please open up your Bibles to Psalm 100, which for centuries have been affectionately referred to as the Old 100th. It belongs to a group of psalms that we call the royal or theocratic psalms that focuses on the kingship of God. This psalm was recited during the six days leading up to the Sabbath to help the people prepare their hearts to worship. 
However, it was never recited on a Sabbath day or during any of the feast days due to various traditions. According to Charles Spurgeon, it is all ablaze with grateful adoration and, and has for this reason been a great favorite with the people of God ever since it was written. Starting in verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. We're going to examine the seven imperatives contained in Psalm 100, include with verse 5, that gives us the reason behind those commands. First, let's look at the first imperative. Verse 1, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. The psalmist begins this psalm by calling us to joyfully shout, or declare our allegiance to the Lord. This is not a mindless shout where you're just trying to make noise. This shout is a a shout of joy, similar to the ones loyal subjects would make when they met their king as he returned from battle. Throughout the psalm, the psalmist did not use the word Lord as a generic title meaning master. He actually used a personal name for God, Yahweh. So a more literal translation would be Shout joyfully to Yahweh, all the earth. This is the joyful spirit in which the psalmist is calling us to as we approach God in worship. Unfortunately, we don't always approach worship in this way. In so many churches today, worship services seem more like a funeral than a celebration of Christ's victory over sin and death. There is no enthusiasm. There is no excitement. The singing sounds so lifeless and joyless. Just people singing at a level that is barely over a whisper. Is that how we are supposed to sing praises to our God? Compare that to the worship in the temple during the biblical times. According to one commentator, the enthusiasm of Israelite worship is illustrated throughout Psalms 93 to 100. Shouts are raised, praises chanted and sung, our musical instruments are played and horns blown. The noise of the temple worship was legendary. I'm not saying that we should worship exactly the same way as they did in the temple or participate in any of the charismatic chaos you see in some of their worship services. And I'm not saying we should violate the regular principle of worship. What I am saying is that we should approach worship of the one true king with the same joy and enthusiasm that they had. We should not be so afraid of emotionalism that we're afraid to show any emotion at all. While many Psalms focus on how believers are to worship God, Psalm 100 is different. This command to shout allegiance to God and to joyfully offer praise to Him was not only given to the church. In this verse, the call to worship goes out to the entire world. But how are they to offer praises to God they do not know? This is one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the Great Commission. We are go, to go out into the world to make disciples of all the nations so they can sing praises to God. One day there will be a time when the people from all nations raise their voices and praise to God together 
And those praises were gone forever. We see this in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now let's move on to our second imperative. Serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve is an all-encompassing word that includes the work we do to serve others in the name of God, as well as the private and corporate worship of Yahweh, the one true God. The psalmist is calling us to serve and worship God with gladness. In other words, we are to serve Him with all of our heart. We are not just to go through the motions. According to Albert Barnes, that is, in your worship and in all your acts of obedience, let there be joy in this service. Let it not be with fear of slaves, not as a matter of compulsion or force, not with reluctance or moroseness or gloom. Let it be a cheerful, happy service. Let it be freely rendered. Let it be an occasion of joy to the soul. The service of God is a source of the highest joy that man knows. My friends, we're no longer under the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, but in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, we see how much God hates half-hearted worship. As a son honors his father and a servant his master, then if I am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is that not evil? Why not offer to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now you will not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there is one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kinder my fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is being despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared among the nations. As you can see, the failure to serve God with your whole heart is no small thing. Now let's move on to our third imperative. 
verse 2b. Come before him with joy for singing. In the second half of verse 2, the psalmist is not addressing private worship. He is calling us to come together as a congregation to raise our voices to God in song. To offer him spirit-filled worship. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 18, Paul said, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is a dispiation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is coming together, God's people, to sing heartfelt praises to Him. It's not something we should do every now and then. We're called to come, come together regularly to magnify His name and to give Him glory. We're called to sing in a way that the love and devotion that we have in our hearts is evident in how we are singing. What a blessing it is when we gather together in His name to praise Him. Did you notice that this verse says to Come before him with joy for singing. It does not say, come before him with joy for singing, if you have a beautiful voice. Or to only come before him with joy for singing, if you can sing on key. It says to come before him with joy for singing. That includes everyone, including people like me, whose singing can best be described as making a joyful noice. Even the, worst singing voice, even the worst voice singing joy for the Lord is beautiful to his ears. This reminds me of a video I saw about 10 years ago. It was a video of a man named Garwin Dobbins singing the song, I Can Only Imagine. Garwin had this horrible disease where his muscles were basically turning into bone. He was one of only 350 known cases. His disease was not only leaving him immobile, but it was extremely painful. He described the pain as being like two people twisting the inner core of his bones while holding them open or over an open fire. While the worship leader talked to him before he sang, Garwin talked about how thankful he was to God for his life and how he still had a healthy mind. He talked about how he blessed he was that he had eyes to see the stars and the colors in the world. He talked about how thankful he was to God because there were people worse off than he was. He talked about how he knew that God loved him and cared for him. Then he sang. By worldly standards, he was not a good singer. It was flat. It was monotone. It was off-key. But I tell you this, it was the most beautiful rendition of the song that I've ever heard. Every word was heartfelt. It was apparent that this was a man who loved God and meant every word that he sang. You, have no, you may have noticed that I'm referring to Garwin in the past tense. Garwin no longer has imagined what it would be like in heaven. He has since passed away and is with the Lord. But are you like Garwin? Can you be thankful to God even when you're suffering? Can you sing joyful songs to God in the middle of a storm that seems to have no end? Can you praise Him even when the bad news is constantly being followed by even more bad news? Now let's move on to our fourth imperative. Verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
the psalmist is not calling us to know God in a superficial sense. He is calling us to truly know God. He is calling us to a personal and intimate relationship with Him. And the only way you can have this close personal relationship with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you do not have this saving knowledge of God, know this. You are a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. That is your nature. You have sinned against God by breaking each and every one of His Ten Commandments. Since God is holy and just, He will send you to hell for eternity, where you pour out His righteous wrath on you. Thankfully, God has provided a way for you to escape the wrath to come. And that way of escape is only found in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is truly God and truly man. He lived the perfect life that you cannot live. He never broke God's law, not even one time. He went to the cross as part of God's preordained plan to save His people from their sins. And on the cross, He substituted Himself for all those who repent and believe. And we know His sacrifice was accepted by God because He raised from the dead three days later. If you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, all of your sins will be imputed or put on Jesus and He will pay the penalty for you. But that's not all. His perfect right of obedience will also be put on to you or imputed to you. It will be like you lived His perfect life. His perfect record will become yours. Through Jesus Christ, you can truly know God. Today can be the day of your salvation. You're not promised tomorrow, so don't keep putting it off. After calling us to know God, the psalmist reminds us that it is He who has made us, not we ourselves. He is reminding us that we are not our own because God made us. We are His workmanship. Because He made us, we are dependent upon Him. Matt Mason reminds us that the road to dependence only travels in one direction. We need God. He doesn't need us. He made us. We didn't make Him. We didn't make ourselves. We exist because God graciously decided we should. You're breathing right now because God is saying yes to existence. Now, and now, and now again. After reminding us that God is the creator of all things, He reminds us of another important truth. That while God created every human being, Not everybody is in a right relationship with him. He has a special relationship with his elect children. We are his sheep and he is our shepherd. He is a good shepherd who laid down his life for his wayward sheep. In John chapter 10 verses 11 to 18, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is hired and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. And there will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. My friends, meditating on the truth that we are Christ's sheep should motivate us to give thanks to Him and to praise Him with joy for singing. Let's move on to the fifth imperative. Verse 4a. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The psalmist is inviting us to come into God's presence to worship him. The gates he is referring to led into the courts of the temple, which was used for public worship, since the average person could not enter into the Holy of Holies. But there is no longer a temple, so how does this apply to us? First, it tells us that we are to come together in corporate worship, in a spirit of thanksgiving. When we come to a church service, we should not do so begrudgingly. We should do so joyfully and with a grateful heart because we have this amazing privilege of being able to worship our great God. In our context, we often take for granted that for the most part, we can do so without without the fear of being arrested. So many of our brothers and sisters in Christ do not have this privilege. They risk their lives and freedom every time they walk into a church or even open a Bible. When was the last time you thanked God for the freedoms you have to worship Him? Second, we should go to the church service to praise and worship God. Nothing should take priority priority over the worship of the one true God. Everything else in the corporate worship and everything that surrounds it are blessings God has given us, but they should not divert our attention away from it. The fellowship potlucks at the church service are our blessings, but don't let thoughts of Grandma Tilly's casserole distract you from paying attention to God's word or the singing of praises to him. Third, we can draw near to God through Christ by faith. We do not have to hop on a plane and fly to Israel. We don't have to go to a priest to mediate for us because Christ is a mediator between God and man. We do not have to go to the temple to be in the presence of God Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. My friends, if you are in Christ, you are God's temple. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Paul said, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. And fourth, We are commanded to corporately worship God to keep the Sabbath day holy. However, we're not limited to worshiping and praising God in public on certain days in certain places. We can go to God in thanksgiving and offer Him praises wherever we are, when we're alone in a room, or driving to work. Now let's move on to our sixth imperative. Verse 4b, give thanks to Him. Once again, the psalmist is calling us to give thanks to God. This call to thanksgiving has been repeated and said in different ways throughout the psalm. It is almost as if the psalmist knew that he had to be repetitious to get it through our thick skulls. As a Christian, we should be thankful to God for all things because all things come from God. We're good at thanking God for the obvious things, our health, our jobs, our families. But we often fail to thank God for the little blessings in our life. Blessings we don't even think about. Blessings that we so often take for granted. Blessings that so many people throughout the world do not have. 
Things like eyeglasses and contact lenses that help us see clearly. Things like refrigerators and freezers so we can safely store food. Things like indoor plumbing and the ability to just simply turn a handle and get clean water. Things like you had a toothbrush to brush your teeth this morning. If you, you guys seen those little boxes around town about Operation Christmas Child? They say one of the most needed items in third world countries are toothbrushes and other toiletry items, things that we don't even think about. Things that you're able to open a drawer and pull out a clean and dry pair of socks. My friends, the more you realize that you're totally depending on God for all things, the more thankful you will be. Now let's move on to our seventh imperative. Verse 4c, bless his name. To bless God or simply bless his name is another way of saying we should praise or worship God. Psalm 100 is not the only psalm that talks about blessing God. It is seen throughout the psalms. Psalms like Psalm 66, 9 through 10. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. Psalm 103, 19 through 22. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rolls over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, all the works of his. In all the places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. And Psalm 134, verses 1 through 3. Behold, bless the Lord, all the servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made the heaven and the earth. When we talk about blessing God, we must be careful that we do not look at it in the same way when we talk about God blessing us. When God blesses us, he's showing us how much he loves us by giving us something we do not deserve. It could be something material or something spiritual. Either way, we do not deserve it. When we bless God, we're not giving him something he does not deserve. For he is worthy of all of our worship and praise. No, no matter how much praise and worship we offer him, it will never even come close to what he is due. Now let's move on to the conclusion of Psalm 100. That gives us the reasons behind the seven imperatives. Verse 5. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist concludes this short psalm by giving us three reasons why God is worthy of our thanksgiving and praise. First, the psalmist declared that the Lord is good. When the psalmist said that the Lord is good, what did he mean? He's not saying God is good because he met some type of standard. There's no standard to compare him to because he is the standard. According to the Puritan Thomas Manton, God is originally good, good of himself, 
which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. He is essentially good. Not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is super added quality. In God, it is his essence. He, he is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop. But in God, there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. He is internally and immutably good. For he cannot be less good than he is. As there can be no addition made to him. So no subtraction can be made from him. God is not only good because he chooses to be good. He is good because goodness is defined by him. He cannot be anything but good and cannot do anything that is not good. That means when things happen in our lives so and we don't understand, we can take comfort in knowing that God is using it for our good, which is to make us more like Jesus. This is the comforting truth that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. My friends, what a comfort it is now of knowing that not only God will always do what is good, but he will always do it for us. We do not have a God who can be good, loving, and just one day, and an evil, vindictive despot the next. Knowing that God is good should drive us to our knees to praise and worship our good God. Second, the psalmist declared that his loving kindness is everlasting. The word loving kindness is translated from a Hebrew word that means to be merciful or gracious. It also emphasizes the love of God. There is some variation with how this phrase has been translated in the various uh, Bible versions. The King James translates it as, His mercy is everlasting. The English Standard Version translates it as, His steadfast love endures forever. The Net Bible translates it as, His loyal love endures. There's all good translations and they all are saying the same thing. That's God's love and mercy has no end. They will last for eternity. While we were dead in our sins, our loving God had mercy on us and made us alive in Christ. This is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too are formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace he have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Our God did not only show us mercy when he saved us, but he will continue to show us mercy and forgive us our sins even after we are saved. We don't have to walk in a tightrope where the slightest misstep can cause us to lose our salvation 
and put us back under the wrath of God. As it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Knowing that God's mercy is everlasting should drive us to our knees in thanksgiving to our loving God. Third, the psalmist declared that we should thank God for his faithfulness to all generations. Our God is a faithful God. He was faithful with the generations in the past. He is being faithful to this generation. And if the Lord, doesn't ter- if the Lord tarries, he'll be faithful to all the generations after us. Since he is faithful, we know that he will keep his promises and he will never break the covenants that he has made with us. The entire New Testimony, or Testament is a testimony that he was faithful to fulfill the covenant of grace that he revealed in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enemy between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. But let's be honest. There are times that we may be tempted and and doubt the faithfulness of God. Times that we doubt that he will keep his promises. When you doubt his faithfulness, read through the Old Testament. You will see how God remained faithful to Israel time and time and time again, despite the complaining, their adultery, and their rebellion. Meditating on this truth will help you grow in your confidence in God. According to A.W. Pink, the apprehension of, his bless, of this blessed truth will beget the increasing confidence in God. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit to the keeping of their souls and to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. When we trustfully resign ourselves and all of our affairs into God's hands, fully persuaded of His love and faithfulness, the sooner shall we be satisfied with His providence and realize that He doeth all things well. Knowing that God will be faithful to all generations to drive us to our knees in thanksgiving to our amazing God. And as we continue with our worship service today, let's praise God with hearts full of gratitude and joy for singing. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we just come before you today and I just pray that as we come before you, we don't do so half-heartedly, begrudgingly, or just feel like it's a duty that we have to give you. I just pray that we come to you with open arms and open hearts and just praise you for all that you've done for us and just for who you are. And we just want to give you glory in all things. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chris, for sharing what the Lord laid on your heart. Uh, Let's take a short break and we'll come back in just a moment, okay?